Welcome to the Tea with Brie. I'm your host, Brie. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro into how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I'm joined by my guest, Kara Glotney. Kara, who uses she, her, and they, them pronouns, identifies as an experience and is currently exploring her pronouns and gender identity. Kara is a humanitarian, reproductive rights ad- activist, silversmith, and jewelry designer. She is currently working on a few pieces that she is excited to share with us in the next coming weeks. Kara! Hi! Hi! <laughs> It's so good to see you via FaceTime or Zoom or whatever this is. I need y'all to know that Kara and I have weekly dates. And so we haven't seen each other since like the beginning of March. Because of the Yeah, I feel like it was even quarantine. before that. We it didn't probably know was like the end of February. Happen. Yeah, we so, had no idea this was going to happen. Had I known Brie, <laughs> we I would have given together. you a hug before this. <laughs> we would have locked up together. Oh, uh, no. Um, oh, man. So yeah, so Kara and I have been friends for only like two, three years, which seems ridiculous. I feel like it's been so much longer, but we met in a past life. In a past, I mean, that's, we're just <laughs> finding each other again. But Kara and I met this lifetime mm-hmm. two or three years ago through a mutual friend. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, we've been friends ever Inseparable. since. Inseparable, yeah. Yeah, literally. Again, we, Kara, you're, 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 prob- you're the one friend I have a weekly date with, I think. <laughs> I know, and I'm honored. <laughs> I'm honored to get that time slot. For Everyone's always like, how do, you, how, do you, how do I get a weekly date? I was like, oh, I don't, that's Ooh. me, I have to ask Kara. <laughs> Sorry. Like, yeah. like, there's seven other days when you come and get, but you got to like ask Kara. Uh-huh. Kara's the one that has like all of I know, I love day. it. I know, I love it. But um, this is good. I'm glad to see you. Me too. Mm-hmm. Um, this probably be a long one because Kara and I could talk for centuries. So buckle <laughs> up, I'm going to warn y'all now. <laughs> um tell tell us some more about you what else do you want to share before we like dive into your convo I mean you pretty much nailed it with the bio um <laughs> I mean you wrote yeah. it so I know. <laughs> shut up yeah so I I did write that bio yeah um I'm a humanitarian reproductive rights activist um currently a silversmith and jewelry designer so that is really what's taking Still up all my time waiting on my rings so hey, it's in the works after yeah. quarantine, I better be like jeweled out. I better be <laughs> drenched Rock. in rocks, just like glistening <laughs> at this point. Since goddamn oh, quarantine man. wants to ruin yeah. us all. Quarantine. I mm-hmm. have my privilege in all of this is like I have a job that I can work from home and I'm in a safe and stable environment. So I have oh, been Oh, you're taking, glowing. Oh my god, thank you. <laughs> you're thriving. I have been taking what 
everyone else is calling quarantine or social distancing. I am calling quarantine, my own personal resort island that I am on and able to just have all the time and do all the things. So I'm getting a lot of stuff done, refocusing on my health and well-being, cutting out yeah. the bullshit. Because remember in 2020, yeah. the trash takes itself out. And so here we are. <laughs> yes, here we are. No, you know, it looks like fun over there. <laughs> You know, you just picked up with me about like receiving some text and me being like, the worst that can happen is some bullshit and just like letting it go because there's no point in like worrying twice about something. No, you have to, you ha- especially right now when all you have time is to just dwell on things. Just let it go. So much time. Let it go. I'm so tired. <laughs> I know. I feel you. I feel you. So what is the topic mm-hmm. that you brought to us this evening? Um, reproductive rights and body policing. Ooh, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm into it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like you and I have talked about this a lot. Like I having just turned 30 and like, and mentioned this on like pad, past podcast episodes just, of just feeling very much like if my body didn't look a certain way, it wasn't seen as beautiful. And I think mm-hmm. that this year is me just being like, fuck it. Like, <laughs> yeah I just don't don't care anymore Mm -hmm. like I am comfortable with who I am and I feel like that's Mm -hmm. been I think last year was like a really the last half of the year was really tough personally like you know like I Mm -hmm. went through two breakups um I was switching jobs I just it Mm -hmm. was just a lot of change at the end of the year and a year of a lot of growth for you you grew so much thank you you did too girl we out here (laughs) we Um, out here like like last year was just huge of like really setting the tone for what I wanted 2020 to look like I mean before we ended Mm -hmm. up in quarantine but just now being in this space and in this experience of just being able to sit with myself and like I we you know I live alone so like mm-hmm. having to be very intentional of like now allowing people into the space in a new way of like do I want you even in my life at all like mm-hmm. right now I have made it a point to talk to one person every day via zoom or facetime or some way of just like being very intentional in like human connection um, but yeah. then also like taking this as a time to just like be very strategic with people who I still allow in my life. So yeah, you bought this topic of body policing. I immediately thought of that and how like for a long time it was me policing my body in response to how society told me I had to look. Yeah. And then also like politics of just like reproductive rights and reproductive justice being very policed by society and politics and mm-hmm. not making it accessible. I mean, we all know that reproductive like rights or healthcare, like period, point blank, abortion is healthcare, uh, plan B is healthcare, mm-hmm. wanting to get surgery and never have kids is healthcare, like all these things Absolutely. to make sure that people who have a uterus or have the ability to get pregnant uh-huh. have options to. That is the key justice. word right there. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. yep. not all, not not just, all women it, have uteruses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not just a woman's right issue. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what made you pick this? So, um, I have like, okay, so something that I've spoken about in a few public spaces, but it's not always something that I'm very, that's very easy for me to share. And I've um, been featured on some podcasts, did some public speaking about an abortion that I had that ultimately saved my life and is also how I found my passion for women's reproductive rights and women's rights in general. Um, But I also believe that all people who are able to get pregnant should have access to healthcare. And like we said, not, um, it's just not a woman's, it's not just a woman's issue. Right. 
Yeah. And um, so I grew up Mormon in Utah and where it was just, um, you know, everything was that's, I guess the culture there is very body policing and slut shaming. So I grew up being um, very insecure about my body. I was more voluptuous than most growing up. So it gave people, um, it gave people the authority to like invade my space and tell me what I can or can't do with my body because I just called for called more attention than most in my community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to someone the other day about how like, I can't remember who I can't remember who it was. But we were talking about how like a lot of the onus of like women of color being seen as sexual has nothing to do with women of color, right? Like it is not our fault that we are so overly sexualized. Like mm-hmm. and I think that's why for a long time, like I have like a bigger chest. Like I still don't wear like V neck anything, like nothing below a crew neck. Um, yeah, or like wearing things that are too tight or too short. And like for a long time, like if you did this, you were like seen as fast or like trying to grow up too quickly. Whereas it's actually not the woman's fault or the girl's fault. It's the people who are looking at you. Like, absolutely. Why, again, why are, it's the same thing like in schools, like girls can't wear X, Y, and Z because it would distract the boys. It's why like, don't we hold the boys accountable? Right. So mm-hmm. that was one of the things that popped into my brain of like, I recently <laughs> did that like naked photo shoot for my birthday oh and it's so good I thank love you that shout out to diana so, that was like I know. my favorite thing seriously um but my grandmother my nana she called me she's like um i saw your photos i was like oh yeah she's like they were beautiful but why'd you have to let the whole world know, know what you look uh-huh. like naked and i was uh-huh. like because it was for me like mm-hmm. i wanted to be able to own my body again and not feel ashamed of it and not feel like I had to be X size or had to be this skin shape right. or have this sort of hair or, you know, just felt like now was the time for me to reclaim that. And like, I have talked about this before, like right now, I don't know if I can even have a kid, right? Like mm-hmm. you and I have talked about this, like with my mom yeah. having had cervical and uterine cancer and like me having a very irregular period, like I don't even know if I can have a baby um but also like i'm to a point in my life like i always had said like i was a virgin until i was 22 mm-hmm. and i had a, so i mean even me getting pregnant in high school wasn't something that was going to happen yes yeah. right yeah but, like i had always thought about it like what if what if i would have gotten pregnant in high school right and i thought about this when i was in high school like i think i would have carried my baby and i think i would have put it up for open adoption but that was yeah. just I mean, you don't know what you're in that situation, but that was just like me, like coming from a very religious family. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't think abortion would have even been an option for me. I didn't either. Yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell us more about that. Do you mind sharing how old you were when you had one? No, not at all. Um, I was 18. Yeah. I was 18. First, first love, you know, first serious relationship. And to be honest, uh, my mom, I, I had just found out that I was pregnant. I hadn't told anyone. And my mom and I have always had this like sixth sense where like we are just like so in tune with each other. And I remember she came into my room one day and she goes, hey, I know you're pregnant. Like, I just know you. And this, the, I guess the guy that I was with was very physically abusive, mentally Mm. abusive, all of it. And Mm -hmm. an abortion was not something at the time that my mom, my mom was very pro-life and so was I because I just grew up in this very predominant Mormon culture and she was just like if you have this baby he's gonna kill you you're not 
And even if he didn't, he's going to take the kid away from you. He was just very manipulative. Mm -hmm. So she took me to get an abortion. She gave me the strength that I didn't have at the time to do it. So to be honest, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here today Mm -hmm. with you. So I never in my life thought that I was going to get an abortion. And I never thought I would have the courage to even talk about it publicly. That was something that I thought I was going to take to the grave. But I have found so much empowerment in just living my truth and being able to speak my truth. And it has broken a lot of, I would like to think that it has broken a lot of generational or intergenerational trauma that -hmm. has been passed down in my family. And I think being able to reclaim um, your body and being able to just post whatever you want, wear whatever you want, be independent, I think is a really big step in breaking um, those trauma bonds. Yeah. yeah. Also, I love your mother. She's my favorite. Oh, uh, I know. Shout out insane. to Lisa forever. <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, talking about like, this isn't your first time talking about, it, I'm going to shamelessly plug that you've been on Lena Dunham's podcast, her old podcast yes. talking, and you talked about this. And then you also mm-hmm. worked at Planned Parenthood. I um, did can you talk a little bit more about like what led you to work there after? Cause um, it was after you had your abortion. Yeah, it was years after, um, probably about six or seven years after. And, um, you know, I was looking for a job. I had just moved back to Utah from California and a friend actually referred the job to me and they were looking for somebody who was bilingual and it just kind of felt right. And I got the job. I started off as a clinical assistant, and it was just amazing. I felt that I could really connect with the patients because of my previous experience. And then I somehow found my way um, speaking at events for Planned Parenthood and doing media stunts for um, certain bills that were being passed that were gonna harm reproductive rights in Utah. And it was an incredible experience, and I think that was when I truly found my voice. Yeah, it was just it was just powerful, and I will never forget that, and I will forever be grateful for Planned Parenthood. Yeah, and I think also, like, growing up, too, like, I think a lot of communities of color are very, Nara, are very... Um, <laughs> she says hi! <laughs> Kara's cat, Nara, just uh-huh. fine, I'm dying. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of communities of color are very pro-life, right, between religion mm-hmm. and then just the stigma of, like, we're supposed to carry our kid and have our kid like you're not supposed to like get rid of your baby um but then I think about like when white women have babies like Mm -hmm. when they're younger like just the stigma around that of like if you look at like historically like when white women would get pregnant like they'd go and like live with family members somewhere else why they did this and like someone else would like raise their kids like no one knew that this person was pregnant or um they had access to like have someone come into their home and give them an yeah abortion. like just a lot of body policing that's going on right now around abortion and making it very political um is just about taking away access but lately with all the stuff going around about abortion and reproductive health care it's made me <laughs> so mad just to hear how these laws and things are being talked about when Mm -hmm. there is not a woman or a person with the uterus at the table talking about this being Mm -hmm. invited to these conversations a lot of decisions are being made for us um Mm -hmm. and then also like we're not the ones getting us pregnant so i feel like it's still that too that thing too like two it takes two people to tango so like why is it that we always make the person with the uterus make this decision i was listening to, Mm -hmm. to a podcast 
a shock. Uh, a couple, I was re-listening <laughs> to a podcast about uh, Robert Durst, who was a serial killer. Anyway, he, his <laughs> wife had gotten pregnant and he made, in the, he had never wanted to raise kids. And so she came to him and he's like, listen, if you want to have this kid, you'll lose me. Like he was just very anti-children. Yeah. And uh, the person interviewing him was like, well, were you using a condom? He goes, no, it was her job to make sure she didn't get pregnant. And I'm like, okay, but she can't get herself pregnant. Like just, yeah. just like that idea of like, it, it can't just like be this, no. be boys mentality anymore. Like we need to have these conversations and have comprehensive sex education (laughs) for all children. Like I grew up in a place where like we had fifth grade was like, you learned about your body. Sixth grade was you learned about the opposite sex body. And then like from there, seventh, eighth and ninth grade, you had health. health. And we talked about abortion, pregnancy, safe sex practices, mm-hmm. abstinence, like all like this full, we had full comprehensive sex education in oh, Connecticut. Oh, see, we did not in But Utah. like states mm-hmm. like Utah and Texas where they don't, and I'm just like, abstinence only isn't going to stop kids from getting pregnant. Absolutely not. I was, and I think I said this in my, um, in the other podcast that I was in, that I was having sex for the first time at 18 and I had no idea what I was doing with my body. I had no idea what was happening to my body. So of course, naturally, like, you're going to get pregnant if you don't know what you're doing. And I did see, I think, a meme or something on Twitter that was like, you know, a girl can have one kid a year, but a guy could literally be intimate with somebody and get somebody pregnant every single every day. Yep. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it's a burden um, that people with uteruses have to carry. And um, yeah, especially women of color like you were saying it's just a different mentality i feel like we have to punish ourselves um if we do have a child out of wedlock or do have an abortion like i don't think we are granted the same grace because that's how our communities are you know what i mean it's also like you'll bring shame upon your family like if Mm -hmm. you have a kid like it goes back to the thing of like being fast like well if you talk to us like we all know we got here because y'all got pregnant like (laughs) i feel like there's still like this huge taboo around it but you think you look at other countries where like and in the uk like the the teen pregnancy rate is significantly lower than here in the states because they talk about it like at dinner like growing up in my family like we talked about sex all the time to the point like I was like, okay, I get it. Like, that's probably why I didn't have sex. I was like 22. Yeah. Like, okay, I, I got it. Oh no. But we just didn't like talk about kissing, nothing. Like I would blush um, no, if my like, mom said or dad said anything. Yeah. And now to be fair, like my godparents, like my, my godfather's a pastor. My godmother is a social worker and they have four kids. And so it was their four kids and me all the time. So the three girls, me and my two god sisters, like we talked about it all the time. Like mm-hmm. it was just very much like, we know that you're, you're attractive and boys are going to find you attractive. This is what happens mm-hmm. and this is how you get pregnant and blah, blah, blah. It's like having those conversations of like what is going on and being really honest of like, this is you're you're able to tell people what you do and don't like you're able to say no at any time I think yeah god bless my godmother and my mom of just being very much like you have every say in what goes on in that room that mm-hmm. you are in and like having and get and reclaiming that power because I think when yeah it's young girls and women and people with you with with the ability to get pregnant are in these spaces and they sometimes like they can't say no I think anyone mm-hmm. period like whenever they are young and like it's your first time like you feel like you can't say no and so like I it's been really interesting the last two last couple of years, like the Me Too movement and like having more conversations around like reproductive justice of like giving people permission to say no and like mm-hmm. stop it at any time. Yeah. I also like 
going back to like body policing of just like it's gonna make you sound real awful but (laughs) i so for a long time during my ho years my hotation if you will when i was younger (laughs) my aunt listens to this so i'm gonna love when she listens back to this Um, i know i know (laughs) like huh Mm -hmm. um listen we all have sex it's fine i mean some of us do some of us anyway um (laughs) It's been a while. I lost my train of thought. Oh, back when I was sleeping with people, like obviously practicing safe sex practices of like condoms, birth control, all that stuff of just like, I would like, it would be like afterwards of like, that would have never happened like hundreds of years ago, right? Like Mm -hmm. for me to walk into a space and be like, no, yes, I can do this. You can't do that. Like just being able to have that moment in these experiences of being like, I'm going to tell you what I want when I want it and how I want it. Mm-hmm. And so I think like that, like when I started having sex, like I was really focused on that level of control of being very much like things are going to go how I want to go, obviously with the other person's consent, again, two consenting adults, yeah. totally fine. Um, but yeah. just thinking back on that of like a lot of the time when I slept with these people, like being very much like in control and telling them that like I am in control of the situation mm-hmm. and it's going to go for as long as I deem possible and same with you. Um, but mm-hmm. you will respect me and this is how it's going to go. And just feeling that power in those spaces of like, that was like reclaiming my body policing or like being able yeah. to, to, for once in a situation as a woman and a woman of color, a black woman have mm-hmm. p- a position of power in the world at one point. Like I think about this often of like, I like Malcolm X said, like the most disrespected woman in America is a black woman. Mm-hmm. And just like how much black women and women of color have to fight to be believed, to be given space, to do anything. And I think that's another big part of body policing too, of just constantly feeling like no matter what you do, you're never going to be taken seriously because you are not X, Y, and Z. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I know you said that that was going to sound awful, but I think it sounded great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes. All the power to you. Powerful. I mean, I'm not having sex currently, so I'm just like, I've been reliving things in my brain lately. I'm just like, what's, is that still the same? Is that still how that happens? Like, huh, interesting. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting, though. I do think that when you, any type of body policing, um, I, in any way, shape, or form, I think it's so detrimental because I think it does take away people's agency or mm-hmm. you know whoever that you're body policing you're taking away their agency and um yeah i think it's amazing that you have used sex to reclaim your power consensually consensually yeah it's a key word um i think about body policing too of like social media because we all see it and it's constantly felt i think for a long time it was there was like this war on porn and like watching that of like men are going to think this is how sex happens and blah 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 and now I think it's like a lot of people period doing this like comparison and competition and there's a quote that says like comparison is the thief of joy and so like today I for the last like month I've been like taking this time quarantine to like realign my body and like recenter and actually put time into myself of like Mm -hmm. taking better care of me and so like I've noticed that like I've been on Instagram more but like looking for different workouts to do because like that's how I'm getting through quarantine is like I have to physically do something (laughs) yeah um but thinking of like how heavy social media and body policing and 
the there was this thing floating around about like not gaining the COVID nineteen and like how easily diet culture and body policing are kind of interchangeable if you think of it like yeah there's I was also watching something last night about talking about like the body positivity movement and how like Mm -hmm. and like spaces where fat women and not fat uses derogatory fat is how like they describe themselves of like how there's some interfighting amongst in that in those groups because like once you reach a certain level or like a certain size and you're like in this like in between of like fat plus size and straight sizes there's like all these like boxes you have to fit into Mm -hmm. and like why are we so keen on making sure that everyone fits into a box and like that body policing of like you are too thin to be here but you're too big to be here and like you have to look this way to be in this group and like yeah the body policing of like just trying to be better like just trying to be healthier and healthy comes at all different sizes and shapes for sure but like Mm -hmm. that competition particularly amongst like women and like that Mm -hmm. women are catty thing and like trying to change that narrative of like I'm a big believer in like the the only competition I have is myself like I want everyone to do well and I just want to be better than who I was yesterday um but like thinking about that like re-watching this I someone sent me a TikTok this morning I do not have TikTok I do not have Snapchat I'm I can't I'm like 90 in my brain um but there is this TikTok of these two girls going to the store and buying like these metabolism drops and they I went and like was reading because like I like seeing that is just like there it was like the middle of winter like summer's coming and they started taking these like metabolism drops and it was like I went down like a whole rabbit hole earlier yeah of like all these girls making these TikTok videos about using these drops mm-hmm. and the people who make them pulled them they took them all off the shelves like we don't want these to be used to tell girls that need they need to be thinner that's not what we wow. created this product so they pulled their product off of shelves like they told stores wow. to stop selling it because these tiktok videos were going viral so like thinking about like that level of body policing of like using things that aren't meant to do that like metabolism drops mm-hmm. laxatives like all the different ways that these things that are meant to help you can actually be used to harm you and like the body policing yeah. and like diet culture being thin using this time to, like if you're not using this time to get thin then what are you doing and just like I was just gonna say something about that. feeling yeah. so heavy around that go ahead sorry no no no. that's that's literally what I was just gonna say I've had to follow so many people on Instagram because just accounts that make light of that or saying like I don't want to you know say I don't want to get fat in a derogatory way um during this quarantine or what have you it's just been overwhelming because yeah it's it's just not okay and people who have had eating disorders like I've I've had an eating disorder and it just doesn't help I'm just trying to be here and be my best some days I'm not productive and it's really hard when you've had those past issues to see people posting those things because like you said comparison is a thief of joy and um yeah wow that was that kind of just really resonated with me because it's so hard not to compare yourself to other people on Instagram, especially if they're being productive all the time and working out all the time, diet tips all the time. It's overwhelming. Yeah. And I would like to take a break right now. We'll be right back.
And we're back talking with Kara about body policing and all things of that nature. Go ahead. You said there was something that really resonated with you the other day. Yeah, I was watching Fleabag and it's one of my favorite shows and I'm so excited for you to watch it so we can talk about it. Um, But one of the characters, she was talking about how women are born with pain built in and how it's our physical destiny, period pain, sore boobs, childbirth, you know, we carry it within ourselves throughout our lives. And she goes on to say, men don't. Men have to create wars, gods and demons to feel the pain that we feel, right? So when she said that... I, you know, I had watched it once and it didn't resonate or I wasn't listening, but the second time that I watched it through and I heard that, it just like hit completely differently. And um, I was thinking about that a lot when I was prepping for um, this recording. And, um, you know, I can't help to think that as women of color, you know, you are born with that pain too and just all the trauma from your ancestors that come, mm-hmm. like that's in our DNA. So mm-hmm. for us, to really, um, what, what's the word I'm trying to look for? For us to really reclaim our power with our bodies is so powerful. And I think that really does, um, I think that really does help the, the PTSD, I guess, that is given to us through our parents. Yeah, like generational pain is real. Mm-hmm. Like you can track how things go, like from grandmother to daughter to granddaughter like right you can mm-hmm. follow it you can see that trajectory like how pain continues through families but I was I have not seen that show and that just I was not prepared <laughs> for that quote. oh I wasn't I didn't remember the first time I saw it so the second time I saw it I almost started crying and I just remember getting the chills because like wow that is so powerful yeah and it's also like women and or people who have a uterus aren't ever like we are never in a position to win, right? Like we have to Mm-mm. constantly fight for things. We have to yeah. prove that we are enough. We have to like, we have to fight for the space that we take up. Oh, um, yeah. This is, I was talking to a friend the other day, like this is the first job that I've worked at that is predominantly white, cis, hetero men. And I am not acclimating (laughs) well. Like, yeah, I I come from a history of working with predominantly women, people of color, or queer people. So, like, this, and that's been a privilege. Like, I have thrived in those spaces. And, like, I'm not doing bad at this job. I just feel like I haven't found my footing yet. And I think it's Mm because, like, for the for the last like twelve, thirteen years of me working like an actual like adult job, it's just been like. I didn't have to explain things like just to be able to go yeah. into spaces and people just get it and they're just, and they just believe you and not like anything has oh. happened at work. It's just like yeah. a completely different experience every day going to work and knowing that like today might be the day that like someone says <laughs> something problematic and I have to like that trope of like that Exhausting. body policing of stereotypes too. Like, let's talk about that. Like if I, if someone says something to me and I respond Mm-hmm. they aren't the one who is wrong i'm wrong for how i respond i am now the angry black woman or the woman who can't control her emotions the or crazy I'm off the handles. right it is not the person who provoked me because i'm supposed to be in control of how i respond but if yeah. a white white man white person i'll say white man yeah responds he is passionate and driven I was just and gonna like say passionate he really believes yes. in what he's saying and it's like that is body policing via stereotypes like i mm-hmm. in this form 
know that you are going to believe how I say things feeds into a stereotype. Like I have to yeah. be a friend and I were just talking about like we were talking about code switching of like I have to be not that I like code switch or like I'm really I filter myself but I have to be very strategic on things that I say when I am in a work environment only because I'm not in a position of power there like Mm -hmm. I am the one who is sort of like in this ground level position and just knowing that like at any moment anything can happen and it's that's my whole life though, right? Like having to make sure that what I say is mm-hmm. appropriate or that I'm not causing too much drama or creating too many things. Like yeah, the body policing around being in this body and not being a white man. Yeah. I mean, your feelings are just in those type of cultures, your feelings are never validated and it is exhausting trying to have to communicate that 24 seven. Um, yeah. Um, like I said, I've been exploring my gender identity. Um, you know, I growing up as a girl and a woman, like, um, especially like in the Latinx community and the Mormon community was always like, you have to be polished, you have to look good, but you also can't be too overly appealing. And so I, I felt like I had to be in pageants and that sort of thing to like prove I was feminine, feminine enough. But when I realized that I was possibly non-binary, that's when like all my social anxiety just kind of left. Like I am just me. I don't have to prove anything to anybody. And that has been the most empowering thing. And I think that comes with, I was policing my own body through other people's projections for so long. And now not having to do that, I've finally been able to like at 30 years old, reclaim my power and just be myself. Yeah. I mean, this thing too, like, the last couple, maybe like year when you've been like really trying to figure out your gender identity and like with you telling some people and them like questioning you questioning of like them being, you and I've talked about this, like you being a very, you being very perceived as very feminine. So people Mm -hmm. not understanding how you can identify as non-binary and you're like, the two aren't mutually exclusive. (laughs) Like I am able to feel very feminine and then also feel like very non-binary and go back and forth between these moments when like my gender isn't really a thing like right like this body policing of like people when they don't understand things want to mm-hmm. negate your experience so they feel more comfortable mm-hmm. yes and like having dated folks who are trans and non-binary and like not even like not to like say I get what they're going through but just like be their yeah. partner in those spaces and like listen to what they've told me like having them misgendered and, you know, people using the the wrong pronouns with them and just being Mm -hmm. very much like trying to figure out like, is it my space to say something, even if they seem okay with it? Like also like not wanting to out them. Like my ex-boyfriend is trans and like when people, so what, someone asked me something one day, they, someone had seen a photo of us together and they had asked a question of like, oh, is he trans? And I didn't think it was my space to tell them. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, his name is this. He identifies as this. And that's all mm-hmm. I feel comfortable telling you. Like it is. Yeah. Or like people being like, you're dating men again. So you must be straight. And I'm like, that's not how this works. Like who I am currently no. dating does not negate that that I not identify as. Excuse, right. Exclusive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think about that too, of like, being in the LGBTQA plus community of like being very much like we are very guilty of body policing 
mm-hmm. of, you know, these radical people who don't believe that like trans women are women or that trans men are men and just feeling very much like because they don't fit what they what other people seem as the norm that they should be yeah. excluded and just being you know t- i've now know when i talked about this on uh, my first episode of just being very much like why as a group that is already so marginalized do we continue to marginalize ourselves more or mm-hmm. feel like well at least i'm not x y and z and like look at me i'm like you like there's there's no need to to do that like i just i often think of that form of body policing too of like negating people's experiences so that it fits into things that make you more comfortable yep that's exactly what it is and you know um i did have a friend once to kind of touch back on something you said about not outing people um i had just come out to them i'd only come out to a few people at that time as non-binary um i still use she her um but I don't know how long I'm going to be using those. Right. And um, I remember they told somebody that we had just met that night. Oh, she came out to me as non-binary um, in a bragging way. And these people then turned in and judged me and had so many questions for me. And it was so detrimental to all the progress and the growth that I had made at that time. And I felt like they were policing me. And it just brought back all these feelings from my childhood, like, that I had to explain myself that what I was doing is wrong. And it was very overwhelming. And I think I'm getting to a place now where I'm starting to just rebuild and um, feel more comfortable to explore that. Yeah. I, I think what I've learned in this whole experience of like body policing myself, because <laughs> that's a whole different can of. Oh work. yeah. Um, and this year in particular of you know, like I said, I, there was this photo that I took um, that I haven't decided if I want to post yet just because I don't want to seem insensitive and mm-hmm. don't want to feed how's, into, like, diet culture. So? But, like, oh, okay. I have, I said, like I said to you, too, like, I've lost some weight in the last month that's, like, a really big deal to me and not, like, mm-hmm. trying to get thin as the goal, but just trying to get healthier. There's, like, some things I want to handle this year that I needed to get more healthy for. Um, Mm -hmm. but like a lot of people who I talk to know about this journey and like with me, I'm trying to be as vulnerable and honest to have conversations. I think a lot of people see me and see like all of the accolades and things I've been able to accomplish. And I think they sometimes forget that I'm a human being with feelings. Like I'm not a robot that just is here to perform for you. Um, (laughs) and so that part um so today I was thinking if I should post this photo or not and I still haven't decided yet but it was essentially like me wanting to share this journey of like it is okay if you do your goals in quarantine or if you do absolutely nothing while you're sorry in quarantine um or if you write that book or don't write that book if you finish that show or don't if you run six miles a day like there are no rules here you can do what you want to do and don't feel like i saw something the other day like if you don't do this 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 and this it's not because you didn't have time it's because you weren't it's because you were lazy and like that's not how this goes like we are in a really weird space right now that we've never been in before no Um, it's overwhelming so just like thinking of that of like constantly telling people that if you're not doing something you're lazy Mm -hmm. um so like with me wanting to post this like it's not me wanting to be like look what i've accomplished here it's like 
these things these things in these time in this time has no rules but if you can find something that brings you joy in it like I've started working out again and I've started like really taking care of myself and picking up my meditation practice and like now find a way to like record the podcast via zoom like Mm -hmm. there's just been things that I have been able to do in this time and I want people to know that they have that space to do that but then also the space to do absolutely nothing so yes I, I I think of that era of body policing too, just feeling like I don't, I just want to be a dick. <laughs> yeah. um, there's something oh, else I was going to say. Go ahead. You know, I say post it. Um, you're, th- you're thriving right now, Brie. You're doing yeah. so great. And it's not just even like working out or whatever. Like you are so much more than that. And I've just been bragging about you all day because I've been telling people I've been doing, I'm about to do this podcast and they ask me about you and I'm just, you are so many amazing things and it's not just in all these little boxes where like body, any of that, you exude beauty for sure, but you also exude knowledge. You exude, you are so wise. Like it's just, you are so much and you should share that with the world. Thanks. I'm You're still welcome. working on taking compliments in 2020. It's a problem. <laughs> um, my friend called me last weekend, weekend before and I didn't think of it as body policing until just now. Um, I've known her for years. I met her when I first mm-hmm. moved here. Um, she's married to her lovely husband. Um, but we had a conversation because we hadn't like talked and catch, caught up in a while. And mm-hmm. so she's like, are you dating anyone? I was like, no, like I dated some people last year that didn't work out. And I think in 2020, I, in January, I said, I don't want to date. And then like I had an epiphany yesterday. I was like, well, maybe I'm just, this is just me self-sabotaging dating again. Cause I'm afraid of getting disappointed. We're working through yep. it. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Her, if you want the whole detail, go to my personal Instagram. It's up there. Um, <laughs> but her and I had this conversation because she said to me, she goes, do you think that like people find it hard to date you? And I was like, oh, tell me more. And she's like, she's like, just being your friend is overwhelming. And I was like, oh, go into that a little bit more. And it, she was like, it's so hard to see what you are doing and what you have accomplished. And then she, her feeling like she hasn't done anything and what she has, it's just comparison is, is the thief of joy. Oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. But like having that conversation of, you know, with me dating all genders and she's like, well, and I had made, I had made the comment of like, I would love to go on Love is Blind because I hate oh, dating great. on the apps. I hate dating on the apps. I hate the, the awkwardness of small talk. Like I'll do it, mm-hmm. but like, I want like, hello, the show, like I want awkward uncomfortable conversation oh you do so well with that me i'm just like oh (laughs) i'm gonna go on a walk and i'm probably coming back but like i love that so like seeing love is blind also because cameron and lauren are goals anyway um but seeing that and being like and talking to her about that i was like i want to go on this show because i feel like my a part of my and i didn't say this but now like thinking about like my body policing is that like I'm never going to check off the boxes of what people want. And like, that's just me and my mental state of like being body policing myself for a long mm-hmm. time. Cause like I've dated people, I've slept with people. Obviously people find me attractive. That's, I find me attractive. That's not the point. It's just <laughs> constantly for a long, well, almost my whole life of just like, I've always been like this. Like I've always had 17 different projects I'm working on between sports, school stuff, student body, yearbook like I've done really random things my whole life and I've accomplished a lot in the last couple of years and so what she was saying was like I she thinks that I've just done so much that people feel uncomfortable like trying to pursue me 
and people think they want to date me and then they date me and then it makes them feel like they aren't on threat. the same level as I am. Yeah. It's a threat. And so she was like, she asked me, she said, do you ever think you'll do less? And I was like, no. Yeah. She was <laughs> like, do you think that I'll ever like, she was like, do you think it'll keep you from finding a partner? And I've always said this. I'm like, I would rather be alone and happy than dim mm-hmm. my light to make someone else comfortable. Like, oh, absolutely, yeah. Why should I have to make myself smaller to make someone else mm-hmm. feel bigger? Like, I don't want a partner who makes me feel like what I'm doing is wrong. Like, if I'm doing things that are out here in the world, wow. like making me happy, helping the world, ch- making change, which is what I've been really wanting, doing the last couple of years. Like, if I... I wouldn't even think of being with someone like that. Like if you don't see value in what I am doing and I'm not like asking you to like go to everything with me, hype me up, be in the corner. Cause like I no, yeah. have friends and myself for that. And I think like mm-hmm. I have different people for different things. Um, but having that conversation with her made me think of like the body, the body policing of making people comfortable, like making mm. them feel like, like body policing isn't just what you look like. It's also like, how people see you like mm-hmm. are, do people see you as a threat do they see you as like out of their league which i don't think anyone's out of anybody's league like i think that's an awful thing to say um i do too but like that too of like feeling and like i think women have said it to each other for years of like you know right now you're just a lot of energy and like people don't know like how to come at you like my like for a long time people have always said, like brie isn't the kind of girl you date she's the kind of girl you marry and i'm like how do you know you want to marry me if you don't date me? like you can't <laughs> I think about also like when dating and feeling like, like I have had friends who have like dated other, who've dated people and like there's a level to like monitoring what your other person is putting out on social media. Mm -hmm. Like not wanting this person to take like this post is like sexier photo or not like have a shirtless pic or like what Mm -hmm. have you. And I think of that to like body policing in dating of like, I think I've come from a place of privilege of like the people who I have dated haven't said anything like this to me and I don't know how I respond but I feel like it would not be a good response listen um but like that is like and I and I get it right you you want to have something sacred with your partner like feeling like this is I'm the only one who sees this part of you for sure but like my choice to share what I share is mine and as long as I'm respectful and I think about it, like, if you think of it, like, with models and art and, like, all this stuff, like, there are naked photos everywhere of everybody. Like, yeah. I was joking one day. I'm like, if a nude of me leaks one day, here we are. Like, I was young. Yeah. I was all done it. Like, what are you going to do? Like, I'm not going <laughs> to panic about it forever. Like, yeah. we've all done it. Um, but I think of that, like, the body policing of saying what you can and cannot do when you're in partnership with someone. And not, like, in a disrespectful way, but just, like, and not even like manipulative. I don't know what I, what I'm getting at, but just like that whole thing of like body policing someone else because yeah. you don't want them to share their body with the world. And I just mm-hmm. don't well, know what that is. How I to have that conversation. I definitely do. I mean, the my, I guess the the first boyfriend that I had policed everything that I did. Mm-hmm. It was like what I wore, what I wore to the gym, when I could go to the gym all these different things and eventually got to the point where I couldn't wear anything but sweats and baggy clothes. Like it got, it was just so much for me because of the manipulation and everything. I didn't even feel comfortable wearing regular clothes around him because he was just going to slut shame me. Mm. And so my, 
I guess the way that I reclaim, I, I talk about reclaiming power a lot um, tonight, but the way that I was able to reclaim my power was through just being able to wear whatever I want because it was like the ultimate, like breaking free of that abusive relationship for me. Um, it Policing somebody's body and telling them what they can or can't wear is so detrimental. And I will never forget that feeling ever. And I will never, yeah. I don't know. It's it's hard to talk about. I, I really don't ever talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I've had other friends who have like said it to their partners of like, you know, I really prefer if you didn't post this photo, which I, I guess is like a mix of like being respectful of your partner's wishes, but then also like you're saying like, there's a line there for sure of like yeah. saying what you would prefer it didn't do versus you telling me straight up what I cannot do. Yeah, um, I don't think I would ever like somebody wants to post something i'm just like I, power to you listen the biggest fan like, yes. i get to see that all the time y'all just got I one know. picture <laughs> like lust over who i'm dating because uh, yeah i get to yeah. reap the benefits but um no it's yeah i just think it's i think it's a very attractive quality for somebody to be so secure in themselves that they don't they're not threatened by you I so so secure that they're not threatened by you mm. mm-hmm. I think that's where I want to stop this convo. Okay. So secure and, ooh, girl, preach. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be here all night. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, as you know, I like to ask if there's anything we forgot to mention that you want to mention. I'll be sure to link everything in the show notes. Yeah. I'll be ooh, giving you a minute to I... think if there's anything else you want to talk about before we sign off. I know. I think I'm good. I've had a, a great conversation with you. It's been so good to catch up. It just feels like our, our Lester Pearl dates. As you know, I end each show with my signature question. Mm-hmm. What is the best advice you were ever given? Or what is a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? Um, so not too long ago, I came across this post on Instagram that talked about um, how to comfort your inner child. And that post of whenever you feel any sort of trauma, trigger, anxiety, sadness, um, to picture yourself as a younger child and also picture yourself as an adult that you are now comforting your inner child. Um, and that has really helped the progression of my healing. Um, so I guess if I were to give my inner child advice, it would be you're doing your best and be kind to yourself. Oh, love it. <laughs> love it. Um, I love you. I love you. That's it for this week's episode of The Tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Tea with Brie. Send me an email at theteawithbrie at gmail.com and visit the website, theteawithbreepodcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Um, again, this podcast was recorded via Zoom because we are in quarantine. Um, and a special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music. Uh, and until next time, love y'all. Bye. <laughs>